Are you familiar with the Free Britney movement? I'm very familiar is, with it. This is your homework, Robert. Yeah, I second that. Jason is a card-carrying uh -huh. member. Every now and then on text, I get like a Free Britney random update from him. I'm like, dude, you have got to find a different corner of the internet. There's a lot of us. Coast to coast, other side of the globe. Brittany, we love you. We're going to get you free. <laughs> oh my Come God. Back. This is a disaster. <laughs>buddy and welcome to the human element Karis podcast on modern marketing i am joined by the amazing and illustrious panel today danny wright national head of strategy and connections planning at cara australia danny it's your first time welcome it is it is i am i'm happy to be here i'm an avid listener so thanks for having me well it, we we will take all of our listeners we might be able to do a pod with all of our listeners Dan Caladine, head of media futures at Cara Global. Dan, this is good grief. Four, five? I was trying to work it out. I think it's five. Oh, you're like, it, this is going to be lost on you probably, but uh, there's a, you know, the five host club on Saturday Night Live, which is oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Martin and uh, Tom Hanks, that whole, you're, you're in <laughs> August company. And James Allen, SVP, head of strategy at Cara US. James, hey, welcome. Thank you. We are really, well, I am really excited because we are talking about something that is, if the past two years are any indication, is among one of our most listened to pods. And that is talking about global trends for 2021. Do you believe we've actually gotten here? I can't. The fact that we're you know, about to say goodbye to one of the greatest years on, uh, on record in human civilization, 2020, is just making me so happy. Let's never speak of this again. <laughs> Amen. All right. So, Dan, I'm going to start with you. What did we get right from last year? Anything? Yeah, we got most of it right because a lot of the trends were about us, you know, playing more video games, you know, watching more connected TV, those sorts of things. And what COVID did really was just to accelerate all the trends that were existing there. So a lot of the things we got right, but something we didn't was we were talking about the rental economy. So, you know, <laughs> renting. Yeah, that didn't uh, happen. And that didn't really happen because people didn't really <laughs> want to put on clothes that somebody else had been wearing a week before. Most of it sort of tallied and actually a lot of it was accelerated in the way that they said with e-commerce, it was like 10 years progress in three months. Yeah, it was literally like a decade there in 90 days. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and we have the scars to prove it. So let's talk about sort of some of the biggest predictions or shifts in the media landscape for 21. I want to talk at a global level, then I want to talk about Australia, and then I want to dive into the U.S. and we'll kind of go in that order. So, Dan, let's start with you kind of globally. What do we see? Well, I think we're seeing an increased shift into digital and also things like esports becoming much, much more mainstream. So I think a lot of things that weren't mainstream a year ago are now feeling a lot more mainstream. And even things like, I think I heard you on another podcast talking about QR codes, and even things like QR codes, who would have said a year ago that we'd all be scanning QR codes to walk into a bar or something? So I think the, the main thing is that a lot of things are becoming a lot more mainstream, including a lot of technology that only people like me up until this point were really talking about. Only a pandemic could get QR codes to be mainstream. I'll, I'll stick by that. Danny, what are you seeing in Australia? Where to start? I think um, there's some really interesting themes I'm seeing coming through around 
I suppose if we start functionally around kind of channels and media, I think you you touched a little bit on the acceleration that's that's gone on, and we've seen this massively with online video in particular. So I think my estimation is, you know, Australia's probably been a lot more nascent than some of our peers, our global peers, when it comes to particularly things like BVOD and SVOD. Mm. I think what's really interesting is that I heard a stat the other day, SVOD revenue in this market has overtaken the box office revenue for the first time. And we've had we've had BVOD growth of I think something like 30% predicted this year in terms of revenue. So it's really interesting because where we've, I guess, lagged behind on some of the digital adoptions that have generally been predicted in our global trends, largely due, due to the infrastructure I think we've got around connectivity in this market. It's not, it's not the best. What I have seen this year is just this rapid acceleration and adoption of digital behaviour. So everything Dan talks about around, you know, gamification, all these things that are really kind of going to ex- continue to accelerate next year, in my opinion. You know, one of the things you mentioned there, and, and even before we, we got started, is some of these infrastructure concerns. Mm. Is there private and public investment sort of changing there? Because all of these things need massive infrastructure investment in order to kind of work in a way where the experience is decent. Is that changing too? It is, but slowly. I mean, if, if you think about it, you've got the market size of Australia is 27 times the size of the UK, and we have a third less people population than the UK. Yeah. So if you, if you think about that and you think about the challenges that brings, you know, governments and, and even private companies with trying to lay the infrastructure required, it's no small feat. It did surprise me, actually, when I moved over here. You sort of put Australia on par with the US and the UK, but you know, things like 5G, it's predicted it's going to take 10 years for the rollout of 5G to be completed in this market. So wow. in some ways, we're, we're lagging, yeah. We've got the appetite, but, but sometimes the infrastructure does lag. Surely we'll be on 8G by the time that happens. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. So, James, what are we seeing in the US or what do we think we're going to see? A lot of the same in the US, I'd say, primarily streaming and gaming. I think I read the other day that um, Netflix considers gaming platforms is biggest competitor for attention at the moment. And it's an interesting dynamic with gaming because you've got so many people that have come into the market for the first time through this whole period. And it may be that they stick around and it's just increased the overall gaming universe size over this period, which which is an interesting dynamic, to, I guess, to be contrarian. I, I don't know if those things no, are James, going to stick I, around. There's no chance you're going to be contrarian. It's just <laughs> yeah. so... Have you changed? This is why I haven't been back for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'm remembering why you haven't been back. No, please, go. I think there's a chance that we'll see next year some quote-unquote revenge living. And do you remember right at the start of this where there was this, this trend in China after kind of the economy opened up after their initial lockdowns and there was revenge spending, yeah. where people were going back to spending a huge amount of money within yes. retail stores. Normally associated with divorce, but now now <laughs> it's a post-pandemic effect. Certainly post-pandemic. And I think there's a chance that because our lives have been so restricted for so long that next yeah. year, once we're able to, hopefully, when vaccines come into effect, revenge living will take hold. And it may be that we just have less attention to give to content, given that we've given so much attention to content this year. You know, it's funny. I think you have something in there. I don't even necessarily feel it's contrarian. I think it's observational. Thank you, Rob. 
I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are like, you know what I don't want to do tonight? It's stay in and binge, you know, five episodes of X. Well, that's already where I'm at. I just don't have a choice to do anything else. You know, well, that's the point. Like, you know, <laughs> I'd rather go to Chili's for the love of God uh, than do that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think you might be on to something there. Um, it, at the at the broadest level, and Danny, I'm going to start with you. What what are the implications of some of these things for clients? How are we talking to them about them? Yeah, I think um, I just wanted, actually wanted to touch on something that you were just talking about with, with James. And I think what's, what's really interesting, just thinking about the position that Australia's in versus the UK and the US and, and many other markets, is that we're almost, almost at the point of eradication. So we, we are sort of at that point where, I suppose in some ways, we're that little bit ahead. And I suppose we've got that window into what potentially next year um, will look like for, for other parts of the world. And I think just to just touch on something you just brought up there, James, around this kind of revenge living. And I guess we are in that phase. And something that I've noticed is people are trying on the assimilation between what they want to keep and what they want to let go. If I talk about it, like, you know, from my own experience, I, I used to love going to the cinema. And the other day, my wife was like, we, you know, we have to go and see this film. We have to go and see this film. I was not interested. I didn't want to leave the house. Didn't get the concept of the cinema anymore, but going outside. <laughs> did it. Went out. Went, did it. Went to the cinema. Loved it. And now I'm sort of like trying on that old pair of, of shoes. Mm. So it is, it is interesting to kind of see, you know, us as, us as people trying to strike that balance between what, what we keep and what we really sort of rebel against and how we sort of move back into those newfound freedoms. You know, A, just the word eradication as an American right now seems like I don't even know what to make of that. (laughs) That that is so far from where we are. But I think the bigger point, and this is something that I think a lot of people are talking about, but I don't know that it's really started to take root in clients yet. And that is this sort of reevaluation of values generally. What is important to me and what do I want to spend time doing? And I I think that's the thing. Dan, are you, are you having conversations with clients around that, like consumers sort of saying, good grief, you know, this brush with disaster or whatever you want to call it, you know, is really causing this sense of a reevaluation of, you know, restructuring how I want to spend time. Like time is what I've lost here over the past year. How do I, how do we do that? Well, we're talking about a couple of things. We're talking about the idea of a reset. So part of it is the idea that we've all been forced into a sort of behavior. And I think some people actually quite like being at home for large, large periods of time. I think some people will sort of, certainly if, you know, like many of us, they're able to work with a screen from home. They're able to, you know, in many ways, their lives haven't been all that disrupted. They kind of think, well, I, you know, I was paying X for my commuting and I, whenever I was going out to see a film, I was paying X to go to the cinema and, and actually I can now save a huge amount of money or, you know, much more than I could save before. I think with some people, there's going to be a bit of a reset, but I think also there's going to be very much polarization of society. So again, you have the lucky people like many of us who are able to work relatively productively and whose jobs haven't been shut down and whose, you know, haven't been furloughed and things like that. And then a lot of other people who have and how they actually react to things. And I think it's been a case of increasing divisions and inequality in society. So I think that's a conversation that we're definitely having with people. 
Yeah, because the implications there are massive, right? From a messaging perspective is <laughs> how do you have a pretty philosophical sense of, you know, how do I reorganize and restructure my life around the things that are important to me having lost this quote unquote mm-hmm. time versus how do I re- rebuild my life after having it fall apart in some material way? Those are not the same conversation. And I, and I think, you know, clients trying to to think about which side of that to be on, because it's not the same message. I, you know, that's that's tricky. And even within those messages, there's different levels of it. Yeah. Like you say, there's people that have been lucky enough to work from home through this period and rebuilding our lives is really rebuilding it to be something that in our minds looks more ideal than it did before. Yeah. But for some people, it genuinely is rebuilding a life. I mean, many yes. people have lost their jobs through this period and, yep. and there's a lot of turmoil. So there's a, a tricky dynamic for brands to navigate there as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to say nothing of of the human toll of it. When we think about you know, this quandary that brands find them in, James, what, what has been the best expression of that into briefs that you've seen lately from clients? Is there anything you've sort of seen come across your desk where you're like, ooh, that's somebody who's really, or that's an organization that's really getting this? Or, you know, is, is there sort of still a, a struggle occurring within the client population? I think the struggle occurs in finding the intersection between what people really need right now and what the brand is able to offer Mm. and finding that balance of what value really means to consumers. And the best briefs that I've seen have been the ones that work really hard to figure out what is the the very particular aspect of value that we can offer to people right now. Yeah, I mean, that idea sounds like such a simple one (laughs) and yet so often it's not really cooked into into the thinking, or so often it's absent. Dan, I'll go with you to start on this one. You and I have talked in this pod five times now about changing behavior. And we, and we started talking about it before the pandemic, and we've talked about it a couple times during the pandemic. And you know, to your earlier point, this is quite literally like the, you know, the single greatest change in consumer behavior that we've ever witnessed in marketing. What are the implications of that, I guess, in terms of what we expect next. Is there a simple way for clients to frame that? Well, I think part of it is about empathy. And I was listening to the the podcast that you did a couple of weeks ago with Sean and Fiona. And mm. that was really, really good in saying that one of the real keys these days is empathy, is, is understanding your audience, is having empathy for what they're going through. And I think a lot of brands have tried to do that over the past few months because obviously you know marketers are people too and and, uh, brands are made up of big groups of people so they understand what's happening they understand what people are going through so i think that's one of the the real core values that the brands need to have and also just to you know to be there for people to offer them tools to make their lives easier to adapt and things. I mean, one of the things we're seeing a bit is that brands are are getting more into wellness. So doing partnerships with wellness brands and things. I was reading something earlier on about a brand which was partnering with a meditation app. And I think those sorts of things are potentially really valuable. Just giving people the tools and also potentially, you know, creating new products or new ways of working that allow people to interact with the brand in a much more flexible way. So more ways to interact at home and those sorts of things as well. Yeah, which again, to your earlier point, is an acceleration of a trend from before, but at a, yes. at a much greater rate, yeah. Danny, I'm going to start with you, but I want you all to kind of answer this question. 
as folks whose job it is to sort of pay attention to trends and to look into the future and understand what's coming and to sort of have insight into human behavior. How do you do that? How do you sort of try to have your finger on the pulse of that, especially during this highly disconnected, non-observational time, right? It's not like you can sort of walk down the street freely and kind of see something that people are doing and say, hey, boy, that's something I should think about. How do you do that, Danny? There's no magic bullet. I think we are we're particularly lucky in, in this market because we've got a fantastic intelligence team that sit within Dentsu. So they've actually invested in, they've, so they've been in field every week since April, so pretty much since the onset of the pandemic. They've been mm. in field with, I think, 400 Aussies and they've asked them everything from, you know, mood of the nation, consumer confidence, purchasing behaviours, general kind of shifts in, in outlook and attitudes. So that's been, you know, invaluable because it gives us, it's actually um, all rolled up into a dashboard that our people and our clients can all access. And so we've got these really easy to digest kind of trend lines and graphs that basically we can go in and have a look at, you know, what's increasing, what's decreasing. So I was in there last night, for example, and I can see that, you know, this week there's been a significant uptick in optimism and the desire for brands to communicate with people with normalcy. Hmm. Um, obviously, you know, I'm being very mindful here that the situation is, is very different in Australia to, to other markets. But, you know, that's, that, like I say, it's been hugely invaluable just to be able to dip into that and go, hang on, are people feeling more or less secure? What are they worried about? To, to I guess, coming back to, to previous comments that James and, and Dan were making about how do we help brands navigate almost... For me, it's almost the radar and the compass of, of kind of human behaviour because I think you need you need tools like that to navigate the radar of kind of what are those moment-by-moment, week-by-week, day-by-day fluctuations. But equally, I think it's really important to also remember that, you know, fundamental human behaviours and, and value sets are enduring. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we can still, <laughs> we still know to be true about kind of what drives human behaviour and, and what's important to people. So I'd say kind of keeping keeping an eye on both of those things and, and not getting too distracted, you know, by one or the other. So right. sort of not forgetting the reality of, you know, t- today's experience, but also not forgetting the, the reality of, you know, what we want and what, what motivates us as, as people and how brands connect with that. Was that optimism due to the improving state of the pandemic in Australia or the halo effect of the U.S. election? I think it's a bit of both. I genuinely, um, <laughs> no, I, genu- I genuinely think that, and I was, you know, fascinated by the the impact that the change of administration and you know the election period really had on the ground in Australia. You know, it was it was huge. So I do think that's part of it. I do, I genuinely do, as much as it is about our sort of newfound freedoms and. Victoria, for example, they they actually had the longest period of lockdown globally. So they emerged mm. a couple of weeks ago after a 112-day lockdown. So I think that's that's also in part driving that. Yeah, that's a that's a long time. Although I don't know, I feel like I'm at 350 million days of lockdown. <laughs> James, what do you do to keep your finger on the pulse? In addition to all the tools that we have at our disposal. There's just something really great about listening to conversations. And to your point, we're not really having as many conversations as we used to. Something that I've taken to in the interim is the comments section of Twitter and or articles, which gives a colorful 
illustration of people's reactions to things that are going on. There's no shortage of, of people saying things publicly and, and understanding how people are reacting to them is, is pretty helpful. It gives a, a pretty good snapshot of what people are thinking. I just, I just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Reading Twitter comments is, is, is something that you would recommend. Is that, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm getting that one. Yes, it's a, a firm, <laughs> firm recommendation. But, but you're selective on what posts you're diving in, right? Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, okay. All right. There's some um, filter criteria. Yeah, I would, yeah. would apply a filter to it for sure. Dan, what's your magic? If, if, you know, give us a little bit of your secret sauce. I do what both Danny and James was were saying, but also I, you know, I try to read an awful lot and I try to read very widely. So I look at a lot of blogs, I look at a lot of social media every day, and then I, I read sort of interesting non-fiction books and things as well, just to sort of try to pick up on ideas and then see how those ideas settle with me. But then also I, you know, it's quite a lot of living, it's quite a lot of going out and doing things and talking to people and just sort of feeling what what is happening and seeing what is happening around me as well. So quite often when I'm writing a trends report, some of the ideas will just come from, you know, completely random things I've seen on people's social media accounts or, or things. Because that's where you see quite a lot of really interesting creativity. So Dan, you're in the Twitter comments too, is what you're telling me. I need to pay more attention to the Twitter comments is what is, is the is A the little bit. I, I, okay. I've over, the weird thing is over lockdown, I, I've sort of started posting a lot less on things like Twitter. And I think it's because I have less contact with actual people. I feel less <laughs> confident or, you know, uh, less sort of willing to put my stuff out there on things like Twitter as well. But I spend a lot of time reading it. Okay, yeah. I would say my Twitter engagement through the charts, my Facebook engagement through the floor. That, that's been the, the shift for me. I, you know, one, one of the things that sort of strikes me here is I want to put you guys on the record for a second. Let's look back for just a second if you could pick the single most significant moment, obviously the pandemic is the umbrella event, but single most impactful moment in each one of your markets of the past year, what would you pick? Danny, I'm going to start with you. I actually, I'm going to come back to what I said, I said earlier about the impact of, I guess the events that are going on in kind of global global politics and society, particularly with reference to, mm. to your market, to the US, it's quite fascinating to see both the impact of the election, but equally the, the sort of the ripple effect that the Black Lives Matter movement had. And in this market, I think it was particularly pertinent, that movement in particular, because of the relations with the indigenous population. So I think I would say on a societal level that that has had the biggest impact and I hope a positive impact going into next year. Hmm. That's a good one. James? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say the same. I think that the, the summer and, and everything that, that went on around Black Lives Matter has had a huge impact, which hopefully will last for a long time. Is there something around that that you're anticipating as a, a next implication or a next step for 21? Yes, I think that broadly, inclusive of the Black Lives Matter movement, but, but also outside of that, I think that people will come to realize the power of the collective and particularly the power of organization through social media. One of the things that happened over the summer that was really mind-blowing was 
the way that marches were coordinated using social media. It was so quick and it was so diligent. It was really impressive to watch. And there's been some other things that have happened throughout the year that kind of kicked off on social media that started to illustrate how quickly things can move. And whether there's evidence behind this or not is subject to outside research. But the the whole movement that started on TikTok that was calling for people to purchase tickets to Trump's rally, which then was was claimed to be sold out and you know, was nowhere near sold out when they got to the actual arena. If that is the case, if those two things are correlated, then that's a great example of the power of social organization on a, mm. on a big scale. Mm. It's an interesting one. Dan, if you had to pick a moment. I mean, I've had the longest to think about it of any of us, and I, I, my mind is still relatively blank. I think, you know, clearly Black Lives Matter, as, as both Danny and James said, but I think also when you look at things like domestic politics in the UK, there was a moment when the government just really lost the trust of people and it was mm-hmm. where one of the political advisors basically completely broke his own rules and then refused to resign as, as a result of it. And it feels like that was a watershed moment because that was a moment when a lot of people just said, well, if they're acting like that, then we're going to act like this. So I think that was going to be one of one of the, the key moments. And I think it's a massive moment of a loss of trust and a loss of loss of respect for authority as well. You know, I think that's such an important one, and and I'm glad you pointed it out, because it was, at the time, was one of those things where you sort of felt like, ooh, (laughs) this may be bigger than it feels. And I think you're right. I mean, in a time when material erosion of trust in all institutions continues apace, that was a yet another big bump in the road. I'm going to join you in a prediction here. Is, is, am I allowed to do that? Can I do that? Danny, it's your first time. Am I allowed to do that? Okay. I actually think, sadly, the moment is right now in the U.S. for me, which is the idea that a material chunk of 74 million people are going to actually think that the election was somehow fraudulent. That's where, unfortunately, democratic institutions go to die when you're driving that amount of misinformation. So it's hard for me to think anything other than we're going to rue the day on this one, unfortunately. Let's move on to happier thoughts. So what's the one thing you would advise to brands right now? James, I'll start with you. I would say be nimble. The landscape is constantly changing, and we know that it's going to be changing well into 2021, potentially beyond. So an understanding of the landscape is not going to be the thing that differentiates brands. It's going to be their ability to react to that changing landscape and do it in a way that's very agile with a willingness to to try things that haven't been tried before and step outside of the things that were previously tried and true um, because they may no longer be as relevant as they used to be. Mm, That's a great one. Danny? I would say for me, it's know who you are and what you stand Mm. for as a brand and be prepared to back that think, you know, what we're talking about just then around sort of this downfall of, of trust in institutions and governments. I generally think people are looking increasingly to brands mm. to fill that void. One, because there is a void, and two, just because of the, the broader consciousness around ethics and expectations of brands and that realisation of kind of the power of, of their consumerism. So I think for brands, it's a very dangerous place to be in in this time if you don't, if you don't have a point of view of, of what you stand for. And if you're not prepared to sort of stand for something, you yep. will fall for nothing. Dan. The main thing I'd advise brands is to find your audience and to bring things to them. And whether you take that in in a literal sense in terms of, you know, 
people aren't traveling outside their neighborhoods as much as they used to. We're not commuting. We're not going into the center of cities. So, you know, literally bring the brand to them in that sort of respect in terms of things like delivery, but also find what they're feeling and then sort of try to meet them in that sort of respect as well. Got it. I also, again, that's a really good one too. And I think it's, again, we say things like that all the time and brands acknowledge things like that all the time. And then when we sit down and we put briefs together sometimes, it's almost like those are the first things that go out the window. So there's a reason to continue to, to sort of say these things over and over. If you could give advice to agencies of the world, what would you say to them? I'll start with Danny. I think, I think that's a great question. And I think for me, it's, it's look after our people. We have to look after our people. I think we've said for a long time, people are our biggest asset. And I think that's no more true than it is today. And I think if you pair that with the fact that you know, people are going through this period of re-evaluation and sort of resetting their, their outlook on how they want to live, how they want to work, it's really, really important that we think about the, the policies and the values that we operate with and how we, how we look after our people and, and help them go on that, that journey with us mm. next year. Yeah. We are at our best when we when we take care of our, our folks, for sure. And we are often at our worst when we don't. And in an industry where, you know, people are what we sell and what we rely on, uh, or the fabric of what we do, I think that's, I think that's incredibly important. James, what do you got? I, I would say try to create things that make you feel something. Because if you're not feeling an emotional reaction to the things that are putting out in market, it's highly likely that nobody else is going to feel an emotional reaction to it either. Um, so if we should use ourselves as a benchmark as to whether what we're creating is good and engaging. I like that. The new T-shirt for 2021 for uh, our agency personnel, Kara, make yourself cry. That's, that's <laughs> what it is. Make yourself cry. All right, Dan, you have anything you want to throw in there? You want me to zip on ahead? Well, I, the only one I would say is the data is going to be even more important than it ever was before mm. because we're getting ever more digital. But also the data is now much more complicated because of all the restrictions on cookies, all the restrictions on personal information. So it's really, really important to understand all the data and how the data works. Yeah. All right. We're going to try to do super snappy answers on this one. Five years out, biggest, boldest prediction. James, I'll start with you. Five years from now, we will all be paid a universal basic income for the use of our data. Yeah, wow, boy, that's a really, really interesting one. I, I don't know about five years, but it's a really, really interesting one. Danny? I'm, I'm going to take a slightly different tact uh, to that question. I think maybe this is hopeful, maybe this is a hopeful prediction, but I think we are going to see the, the reintegration of media and creative agencies. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. That's, uh, I feel a little bit like that as I do, you know, the year of the QR code, the year of mobile. Uh, I, I think it, it's going to happen. I've been waiting on that one for 20 years. Dan? Well, two I would say. One is I think AI will have changed everything in five years' time. I think almost everything we do at the moment within marketing, within agencies, will have been changed by AI. And then the second one is I think gaming will be the new social media. Mm. So I think you will, you know, instead of visiting a site like Facebook or Instagram and just looking at a screen, you will actually be inside something or it will feel like you're inside something because it will be so immersive. 
I, I feel like I'm inside something with Facebook right now, but that's a whole other story. All right. Are you ready? Write the headline for 2021 right now. 2021 was the year of what, Dan? Recovery. Well, that's a pretty good one. James. Um, so I'm, I'm actually stealing this from someone, so I want to make, make sure I get my credits right. But <laughs> the, the year of receipts, and I attended a conference called Allyship in Action, which was really great. And um, Matt Story from Visa said this. He said that 2021 will be the year of receipts in the sense that this year, brands have made so many promises, and next year is the year that everybody comes back with the receipts of those promises and says, okay, show us that you've actually done this work. And mm. I think that that's what next year will be about. I agree with Matt's story. Mm, that's interesting. Danny? I'm going to say assimilation. The culture of assimilation, societal assimilation, and assimilation of kind of, kind of the old and the new as we recover and kind of, you know, what, what are we going to keep? What are we going to lose from, from what's going on this year? Danny, you know what I love about this conversation with you is that you really, it, 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 where you guys are is an optimistic place and, I, and I'm trying to draw some. <laughs> because yeah, right. we, yeah, <laughs> we, are, <laughs> we are entering the darkness, let me tell you. And it, it, is, it is palpable here. Good grief. So I love it. I'm, I'm all in. Are you guys ready for the lightning round? All right. Favorite thing about the holidays in the UK, Dan? I think it'd be the family and the food. I think both quiet tastes, but I think the British <laughs> Christmas, the British Christmas dinner is a very underrated thing internationally, especially things like Christmas pudding. I love a good it, Christmas pudding. It, it has some relation, some relationship to American Thanksgiving food, does it not? I mean, there's sort of stuffing and. Turkey. Some bits are similar, yeah. yeah some, some bits bit, are similar. I, some. I with said with some. less pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> it all is heavily pumpkin here. The US, it's all pumpkin these days. You know, uh, Christmas dinner over here is prawns. Prawns and ham. Shrimp and no ham. turkey, it's prawns I, and ham. I, I missed that one. Mm. James. I was going to say the city being quiet, but we've had a year of that, so maybe that won't be this year's. I think maybe also the food. Is there a holiday food tradition since you've been here that you enjoy? Oh, that's a good question because I've cooked an English Christmas dinner each year since I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be clear. That's a uniquely American thing, right? Bring your own stuff here. That's, that's the way we like it most of the time. Danny, favorite thing? Do you like the ham and prawns or was there another one you want? Was that your favorite thing or you were just sharing that? Oh, okay. certainly not my favorite thing. That, that was just that was just a, Got just it. a share for me. No, for, for me, my favorite thing, it's it's family. So actually, I'm going to, the wife and I, we've decided we're going to boycott Christmas this year. So we're actually just going to celebrate. We've, we've got our one-year anniversary, wedding huh. anniversary. So that's what Christmas well, Day will congratulations. be Congratulations. I love that. I love that. Thank you. James, have you had a moment during the pandemic that was sort of your best sort of social moment. I'm, I'm not, you know, the moment you were like, ah, all right, this, this, I can get through this. As in inspired by society around me or like social interaction type? No, thing? social interaction. And again, digital or, or, you know, six feet apart or whatever. I was in Brooklyn the day that all of the, the news outlets called Joe Biden as the next president. And the atmosphere here was electric, and it was definitely a very inspiring day. Yeah, 
for sure. Danny, was there something, you know, was there a moment during the pandemic that sort of you, I don't know, felt most socially normal or was like a good social moment? Yeah, mine's a little bit closer to home. I think particularly towards the start when we were in our lockdown, every every Sunday evening we would play a Kahoot game with all my family, so different you know, pockets of family mm. in different countries. And that's when I thought, you know, actually there are there are some silver linings to this and that's something you wouldn't normally make the time to do. So it was, it was pretty nice. Yeah, those have been kind of fun. I, I've, I've had a few of those with some friends from college and high school where I'm like, you know, we don't talk to each other for two years at a time, and yet we've just talked to each other two weekends in a row for two hours on video. So those are good moments. Dan, I think I might have asked you this question before, but I can't remember. I can't remember either. I mean, I think there have been a few, but I think one of the most enjoyable ones was I had a, a Zoom birthday party that was really good in May. And I'd, I'd hired a busker to actually play on Zoom and had about 20 people, I think, signed in. And then we finished off with a big a big scavenger hunt around the houses where we had to find different things and bring them back. So that was just really good fun. And you just sort of thought, well, next year, let's let's all be in the same room together if we can be and do something like that again. Dan, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. All right, last one. Are you ready? Danny, we'll start with you. Favorite all-time band or song? In the spirit of honesty, uh, Britney Spears, God rest her soul. What, she's still alive. <laughs> she's, not, she's not a full self, is she? <laughs> All right, Dan. Favorite song or artist? Preferably without a conspiracy theory attached. There's probably several conspiracy theories, but I'd say the Rolling Stones. But having said that, they really haven't been any good for almost all of my lifetime. <laughs> That's a great line. That's a great line. All right, James. According to Spotify, my year in review, it is Mac Miller. Ah, yes. We all just recently got the answer to this question, didn't we? Mm -hmm. To uh, mixed reviews online. I've seen people posting about their irritation with people posting that on their Instagrams. Yeah, you know what? Uh, here's my view. I love it. I think it's fun. I mean, it's harmless. And yeah, everybody... That to me is a typical like internet, everybody's zigging, I got a zag reaction. And mm -hmm. it's like, ugh, good Lord. Yeah, I personally uh, love it. I do too. I do too. My number one most listened to artist this year... Jason, do you remember? Because I, <laughs> I said Journey it to you. was in the top five. Journey was number two, I think. Uh-huh. Mayday Parade. Mayday Parade. That's right. One. Because at heart, I am a 16-year-old high school girl from Orange County, California <laughs> from 1998. You guys have been fantastic. I cannot thank you enough. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Danny, a wonderful first time. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Thank James, thanks for coming back. We will not make it a year the next time, I promise. Can't wait. All right. Dan, you'll be back on in three months, so we'll, <laughs> we'll see you soon. <laughs> Hope so. Listen, if I don't talk to you before the holidays, have a wonderful holiday. Likewise. All right. You. Thanks, everybody. You guys were great. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you get your pods. Please give us a comment, give us a like, or smash the button and subscribe. We will be back out to you real soon. In the meantime, be well, be just. Thanks so much. We'll see you real soon.